Awesome. So uh, we're, we are in week, week five, week five now of what I've been calling story. And for those of you that haven't been here, basically this premise of sociological thought was for a long time people basically believed that events would happen, we would have emotional responses to those events. So life happens, stimulus, whatever, and then I would either have a positive or negative or anything in between response to that event. That's not completely true. It's not even partially true, actually, because um, events, uh, there's this thing called story that we tell stories to ourselves that actually is what we use to interpret events that actually evoke the emotional responses that we have. I've used the same example, but I think it kind of casts the point of a teenage kid driving down the street, wrecks his car, and he's got his car total on the side of the road, and he's standing next to it, and his buddy from high school drove, drives by, and he tells a story that's something like, that kid's an idiot. Um, why? Because it distances from him, and it actually creates where I don't have to feel the vulnerability that that could happen to me any second, right? Or a mother that knows the kid will drive by and probably have this emotional response of like, I need to call my son, I need to make sure he's safe, right? Da, 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 because of the story that she's using to interpret this event. And we interpret life's events through uh, our past, through our upbringing, through our conditioning, through our beliefs, through everything. And so basically... Um, the story that we understand, God's story in our life, our community story, our friend's stories, the stories that we tell ourselves very much are key to the way that we interpret life's events and then how we feel about them, which then dictates our responses. So um, we've been kind of just going through different aspects, really trying to, I think, been a, a theme of like reorientation, like a recalibration of truth and thought and how do I, how do I perceive God? How do I see him working and moving and all these different things? And I've been having people tell stories and then I feel like the Lord's just been speaking to me and, and as I've been forming these about just different content and, and different things that he really wants to start weaving truth into our minds. So um, this week I'm going to talk about um, living life in the spirit. And uh, I think I started with an example of my mother saying this because I think it's, that's what it looks like. It's, there's a practical, like life in the spirit is an awesome term and it's like, yeah, we want to live in the spirit, but it looks like something. It looks like you just flow with Jesus and things happen and you're like, wow, how did that happen? You know, like God just moved in and out and I heard him speak and then this and, you know, I, there's people in my life and my mom is one of them that I so uh, every, every time I'm around them, I'm like, I have an expectation that I'm going to have something good is going to happen or something God because these people live in the spirit. And so we want to be a people that live in the spirit. And so this is really a message uh, about to do that. And what does it look like to develop and grow in, in our capacity and our ability to do that? So um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians 5. I'm going to read a passage that uh, is kind of going to set the, the tone for tonight. And it is Galatians 5, I'm going to read verse 15 to 24, it's towards the end of the chapter, it's on the fruit of the Spirit. So verse 16, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries. You think Paul was just kind of like, what else? What else, Lord? 
divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warned you, I warned you before, that those who do these types of things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So there are two forces that are at play in planet Earth. Uh, And everyone's aware of them. They kind of get termed different things. And I think that there's um, different terminology that we can use to describe this. But, you know, fundamentally, it's there's good and there's evil, right? There's life and there's death. There's positivity, there's negativity. Uh, There is uh, the spirit of God and there is, you know, the flesh and the fallen nature and death. And, and, I, and ultimately, though, it's, it's good and evil. There is a good force at work in the world, and there is an evil force at work in the world. And this is not a yin and yang type relationship. Uh, like, a lot of religions believe that type of thing. There's, there's good power or karma, and there's bad karma or power or whatever. That is not the message of Christianity, um, but there is still an evident that there is evil and there is good. Good, of course, of course, is associated to God. Evil is associated uh, to the devil. However, um, God is enormous, and the evil is not very big. Like, have you ever seen those those uh, those outer space like things where they're trying to put the sun to scale with like the Earth, to scale with like the Moon, to scale with like the big stars? Like, sometimes I think we need to, like, do those in the church to, like, reorient what the Bible talks about, how big God is compared to, like, the devil. Because the devil's real, right? There's power. There's, there's this evil realm. But God is, like, like the sun, right? And then there's, like, and they'll get, like, the little, like, split, split pea, you know? They'll be like, and this is the earth compared to the sun. Like, that's what we're talking about when we talk about good and evil. There is this force of good Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, triune God. And then there's a force of evil, which we say is Satan, the accuser, the devil, right? And we uh, are in the process, like a lot of people think that God and the devil are in like this conflict. And that's not true either. Uh, The devil is not fighting against God because that's not a fight. Like there's no fight there. Um, The devil was been sent to earth, right? He fell, and he's on earth, and then God's whole plan from the beginning was to put mankind on the earth and to raise up his children, his sons and daughters, to actually overcome the evil one, right? And then Jesus, that's why Jesus, God didn't come and, like, beat the devil as God. He came, and he became a man, right? And he walked on earth as a man, and he conquered as a man, and he died on a cross. He said, it is finished on a cross as a man, because he wanted to get man, right, to raise them up to, to conquer. So that, that's where the conflict is, is between mankind and, and the evil one. It's not between God. God is very powerful. God is God at all. He's not intimidated or threatened in any way, shape, or form by evil. Psalms 2 says that he who sits in heaven, he sits on his throne, and he laughs, at all the raging of the nations and all their plots and their schemes. He's just laughing at it because he's like, oh, not that big a deal, right? 
But we live on this plane sometimes where it looks very much like it's this like yin and yang thing, right? Like there's good, but then there's so much pain. And I think all of us have been in moments where we feel overwhelmed by negativity. And it seems like negativity is a whole lot bigger than all the good in the world and a lot more powerful than love. And it doesn't seem like love never fails because all I see is pain and brokenness and destruction and people are starving. And then you go to the third world and you're like, man, this doesn't seem like we serve a God that's, you know, the size of the sun compared to the little split pea. Like it seems like it's much more evil, even, even playing field. And that is because we are in the process of renewing our minds to actually live and view and perceive God, um, life from the perspective of heaven. Um, I think we, we underestimate the depth and the depravity of what sin did and what the fall did. Um, it very much corrupted our thinking and it, we were deceived. And uh, we are in this process of transformation, um, which we're told is the, the act of repentance of renewing the mind is actually what's transforming us into the image of Jesus. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed or be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The word repentance, uh, if you were to study and do a word study, it actually means to change the way that you think. And so our minds are this very rich soil bed um, that, that, that grow things, that sprout things, that grow beliefs that literally change the world. Like everything that we see, all the buildings that we see, all the airplanes that we see, all the inventions that we see, the iPhones, the techno like they started in a human mind um, that believed something in it and it sprouted and grew and it grew. And now we live in this tension where, um, you know, Paul in this verse talking about there's, this, there's the flesh and there's the spirit. And there is very much a, con a contesting going on over your mind about what you're going to believe is true. And one of the primary ways that the devil is, is um, associated is he's called the accuser and he's called the liar. So he lies and lies and lies to try to stick seeds in your mind that will bear fruit for the flesh, which there's this whole great list of stuff, um, brokenness. Uh, darkness, bro you know, all this evil, bad, immoral, whatever you want to call it. But there's this contesting, and it's in the mind. And God wants to transform the way we think because a lot of us, we have good thoughts, we have truth that we've believed, but we also have lies that we've believed, and it's kind of this, this mixed thing. And so the process of repentance, why it's oftentimes humbling and it's hard, is because it's changing the way you think. It's turning, and it's recognizing I'm believing things that are not true, and God goes in there, and it's like he's, you know, who likes to pull that feeling when you get the weed out, you know, you're, like the whole root comes out, you're like, yes, like I got that, you know, like that's because God loves pulling the weeds out too, like it's just like this holy moment, because God's like, that's what I'm doing for you, I'm reaching down into your mind, and I am ripping these weeds out that are lies you've believed that are bearing poor fruit, right, Primarily what's happening in that process is we're transforming. We begin to think like heaven thinks. We begin to see like heaven sees. We begin to perceive world on a whole new difference. And all of a sudden, it doesn't look like yin and yang anymore. It looks like, oh my gosh, I serve the God of angel armies, right? No longer are you Elijah's servant. Like there's this story, right, where Elijah's in this thing. He's been, the Lord's been telling him all the stuff that the enemies are doing. So the whole army of Assyria, they don't go after Israel's army. They go after him. They camp around. He wakes up in the morning to his servant freaking out, saying, the whole army's here, and they're coming for you, and I'm your servant. You know, I'm sure he's like, I need to bail. I need to bail. But he's freaking out. Like, 
every one of us would if we woke up and the FBI and SWAT team was outside our room. We'd be like, where's the basement? Is there a way I can crawl like through the underground tunnels to get out of this, right? But that, that is not, that's not Elijah's response. Elijah literally says, Lord, just help him open up his eyes. Because Elijah looks out and he says, like, and the kid, the servant, opens his eyes and he sees angels all around. He's like, trust me, he who's for us, much more than those armies. And like, that is a process of transformation of learning to see and perceive and think like heaven does. And it takes getting the weeds pulled out so that the fruit of the spirit can begin to rise up in our belief system, which then will be incarnate in our actions because we live out of beliefs. So the fruit of the spirit doesn't start by, I'm going to really try to be patient, <laughs> you know. No, it's, it's, a, it's a thinking. It's a mind problem. Problem's not what am I doing wrong. It's what am I believing that's not correct, right? So God starts, he pulls out the weeds, he plants new seeds, and the fruit starts in, in seed form. So, okay, I'm just setting it up still. All right, this, uh, this is a super uncomfortable process, um, and the more stubborn we are, the more painful it will be. <laughs> and I put in parentheses, ask Apostle Paul, <laughs> because he had to have this encounter, right, this repentance moment on the road to Damascus, and he realized that his weeds was causing him to kill Christians. And that's why he never got over it. He's always, I'm the least. I was the least because he had to live with the pain of, I was so stubborn. I pushed through so many probably invitations of the Lord that I was persecuting the church. So our beliefs are powerful. Our minds are powerful, and they're rich soil, and they grow beautiful, fruit-bearing things for the spirit or for the flesh. All right. Tonight, um, I want to, the message is I want to transform the way that we view negativity because there's a, a few pretty basic, well, there's one real basic truth about negativity in our life, and that is this. We will all consistently uh, engage and have to deal with negativity on a regular basis for the rest of our lives. Negativity is a fact of planet Earth. There is pain, there is brokenness, and if it's not your own, you'll find it in someone else's life that you love. Right? There's sickness, there's brokenness, there's, there's so many things. It's not even, if you thought about it all the time, you'd be a, you'd be a wreck, right? Um, but negativity is a reality that we have to deal with. I think sometimes we can get a spirituality that kind of like, let's just not think about all that and let's only focus on all the good. And I believe that we are to focus on the good. I believe that we're to focus our eyes on Jesus. But there is this dichotomy where we're citizens of heaven and we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. But the person that wrote that was oftentimes in prisons getting his back beating saying, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. So there's like this, it's like this tension, it's a paradox, and it's like, it's an incarnational spirituality. Spirituality has to look like something, it has to look like love in planet Earth, and planet Earth is full of pain. And to love people means vulnerability, open, I'm going to engage in your life, which means I'm going to hurt, I'm going to experience negativity. I cannot wall myself out and just wait for heaven, right? I have to have a love that's going to engage and not afraid to bleed and not afraid to hurt. In the, in the same manner that Jesus loved, right? That's what's going to change the world. And so we have to view negativity the way that God views negativity. Um, and when we do that, it's going to empower us to actually, instead of living in fear and just kind of protecting our way through it, actually, it's like a reverse slingshot and we get catapulted forward into life. So 
We're going to work on that tonight. So God works all things to the good of those who love God. Amen? That does not mean God, uh, God is doing like all things. He does, he's not causing all things. Right? People will say, God gave me sickness. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know how he could do that because he doesn't have any. Right? That'd be like saying, that'd be like saying, that'd be like saying, Jordan gave me twenty-five thousand dollars. I'd be like, that's not possible. <laughs> Trust me, I don't have that much money. <laughs> right? So God can only give someone what he has, and he has no sickness, he has no pain, he has no um, he has no fear, he has no addiction, he has no, he has nothing negative. Everything God is is abundant life. He is overwhelming life, okay? So he can't give you that. Um, What this verse does mean is that he will redeem everything that comes against your life, including the negativity, for his good and for your good, okay? Um, Negativity is the fruit of death, but it is still a servant to God, right? We, we, We have to recognize that God is so powerful that he's not, he knows, I, like it's serving him still. All of creation knows who its maker was. All of creation, God can work and move. He's creative, he's endlessly creative. He's eternally wise. He knows the end from the beginning and he uses everything to produce good, right? And, and so it is not that um, we've done something wrong when negativity comes into our life. Like God will allow it. He will allow in his wisdom what he could easily prevent in his power. That's a good word. It's not mine, but I stole it from Graham Cook. So I was just going to act like I was really wise for like 30 seconds. Then I was convicted. (laughs) I'm just joking. I was just wanting to, never mind. All right. Negativity has incredible power and energy attached to it. Right? It has a ton of it. Pain is incredibly invigorating. Right? Like, how many people, you know, you do things when you're in pain. Like, people, I mean, I, I, I'll go run. Like, and I've, I, there's times when I was in pain, I swear I ran, like, 50 miles in a week. <laughs> I don't normally do that. You know, and it was just like, nope, just running. Why? I had energy that I needed to get out of my body because I was in pain. It has a lot of energy and power attached with it. God is the master at taking negativity that comes and, and when, we, when we know how, what to do with it, when we know how to see it from his perspective, he will take it, transform it, use it, and then he will use it and he'll turn it and it will become momentum that will propel us into a place that we've never been before. Mark 6, you can turn there. I'm going to read a story that kind of demonstrates this. And I think this is really what God does on a, on a repeated basis. But this is a story when uh, they're, they're, Jesus walks on water. So we've all heard it. I don't think we've probably heard it in this light. Um, so they, they did ministry all day, and then Jesus tells the disciples this night, get in the boat, and you go across by yourself. It's an eight-mile row, so anybody want to anybody wanna do that tonight after church? Eight miles? Let's go to Lucky Peak, right? That would be a tough word from the Lord, but uh, anyways, they were fishermen, so I'm sure they were fine, so it says Jesus goes up on the mountain and prays, and then in verse 47, it says, when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. And it's about the fourth watch of the night. He came to them. So fourth watch of the night. They've been going like five hours. 
painfully, and they've made it like they think maybe five, four miles, four or five miles. So they have been painfully rowing the wind. The Sea of Galilee, still today, there's a phenomenon that happens there that when storms go, it is like a raging torrent of a storm. So it is scary. It's scary. Lots of boats would sink. So it's, it's legitimately terrifying. It's fear. It's a storm. And they are in pain, rowing for their lives, right? Like pain. Like this is negativity, right? It's scary and it hurts, and it says about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. It says he meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. They cried out to him. He ends up coming to him, says, take heart, don't be afraid, right? And it's not in this account, but that's when Peter walks on the water, yada, yada, yada. But in John 6, talking about the same story, it says, when Jesus got into the boat, immediately they were at the other side of the sea. And literally, the, like the academics, they're like, well, it's a miracle that they transported three or four miles. And like that is what happens when we know what to do in negativity. We painfully have to toil, and we usually have to go through the night. We have to go through the dark night of the soul, and we're pulling, and we're, we're pushing, and I'm pushing, pushing, and it hurts, and I'm fighting for my life. But all of a sudden, in that place, Jesus comes walking in a place that I, don't even, I would never expect him to come. He gets in the boat with me, and somehow, I'm on the other side, and they get out of that boat, and a dude that's been running around naked for years that nobody could contain gets delivered. Right, And there's just something that takes place in negativity that God trans, this storm's coming against them and all of a sudden Jesus comes and it gets turned and it releases as a torrent of God and this man that's been chained is free and delivered. And they literally say he went and then changed and evangelized his whole city. Right? Like that's what happens when we can toil, when we can, when we can fight. We get in the fight with negativity and say, okay, I'm not going to let this just be nothing. I'm going to let the Lord, I'm going to take my pain and I'm going to convert it into praise. And when that happens, powerful things start taking place. This is what James is talking about. This is why he's saying, count it pure joy. Because he knows that's no, not the wrong thing. There we go. It says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He's saying, I know what the reward is of you learning to suffer well. I know what the reward is when you can let God convert it and you count it pure joy and you find whatever is being stirred and you give it to God and you praise and you praise and you praise. Something happens. You find Jesus in a way and you get slung shot forward. All right, it's a release of his spirit. What I see way too often, honestly, this is probably the thing that grieves me the most, being in ministry. I meet with people all the time, and I get to hear a lot of things. I get to see a lot of amazing stories. I get to see God moving in lives. But I see this too frequently, and it grieves me. And that is this. People will share things. They'll confess things to me. You know, it's funny. It's like, because I'm a pastor, people think I just want to hear all their stuff. I won't even know someone. It'll be like the first time getting coffee, and in 10 minutes, they're telling me, like, the deepest, darkest things they've ever done in their life. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I have like a name tag that says share your junk with me, but I think it goes with the territory. So it's funny. No one told me that was going to happen in ministry. This is just a total rabbit trail, but I found it's hilarious. But you know, it's a joy. You get to partner with people. But that's not what grieves me. That actually makes me happy. I'm like, hey, 
you got no shame. Amen, brother. I'm right there with you. And I start telling them, this is all my stuff. Like, listen, da-da-da. So it's kind of like a little party. But then we talk about Jesus, too. But, uh, yeah, who wants to meet with me now? <laughs> so it's, don't know why that came up. But anyways, all right. This is what actually grieves me. People will share. Oh, this, that's why this came. Okay. They will share, like, a lot of deep brokenness with me. Okay, and that's beautiful. Like, we got to be real. Like, this is a broken life, and it is through broken jars of clay that the glory of God releases through. Okay, so brokenness doesn't grieve me one bit. Um, but this is what will grieve me is they'll share something. Like, they'll say, like, it's like they're, okay, I'm in pain. I'm having discord. I'm in a trial right now, and I know it. And, and those things take, there's a process. Like, converting your pain into praise doesn't happen, like, overnight. Yeah, I listened to that Jesus Culture song, sang it, we're all good now. No, like you, you have to fight to really get, I'm not talking about singing a song, I'm not talking about going to church, I'm talking about finding the song of your soul in your brokenness, getting to the root, to the depth of where your spirit is connecting with his spirit and your song, you find something that this is my song, this is who I am. This, like, that's what God wants, and that is when it converts, right? And that can take months. Okay, there, that can take that can take years sometime. But and there's, you know, and it's steady. It's like steady broke through. Um, it's not like darkness for three years. Okay, God doesn't leave you in that place. But, but it is a process, and people will will share these things with me, and then three days later, it's all good. Like, oh, it's all good. It's all good, and I, and and it's not all good. I know it's not all good because I know, it, I know how deep what they shared me was. And they just kind of like, what they did, what we do, and, and I've done this, is, is we, we find external fixes to release the tension. Whew, that discord's uncomfortable. So let me change my circumstances. Let me blame that person. Let me blame, um, it's just all the bad luck. You know, let me blame this. Let me blame that. Let me make it anything external of me. And there is such this, like, it is not, it is not just our natural response. It is our fallen response to pain. Now we say, let me scan my life where I can place the blame at so I can get rid of this pressure because it's painful and I'm tired of rowing. And honestly, like honestly, it grieves my soul when I hear it. So I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe it's better now and you're not in pain. Oh yeah, I found a new girlfriend and she's the best. She makes me happy. She knows me like no one else ever has. I'm like, all right, well, it's going to be another six, seven months around the ring around. One more trip around the mountain in the wilderness. Like, God didn't make us for the wilderness. He made us for the promised land. And to get to the promised land, you know what God was doing? He was weeding out Egypt from his people. And it took him 40 years because they were so dang stubborn. They just, no, I don't really want to look at this. I'm just going to go around the mountain one more time. And I hate it. I literally hate it when I meet with people and I know in my heart they're just tripping. They took a left-hand turn. They're going right around that mountain again. And then we'll probably have this conversation another year. I've literally had people where I've had the same conversation like hopping six months down the road. And I just want to be like, dude, it's time. Time to find your song, right? There's a major tendency to look out, and what God, what, 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 what healthy spirituality does is it looks in. Because there's a huge truth about all negativity in life, and that's in every single situation, every problem, every turmoil, every pain, there's something we have to learn. 
Like, hands down, there is none that you do not have something to learn in. People can be doing, oh, I'm actually, uh, never mind, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to share. Uh, in the last, the last season of my life, um, I, I, I went through a, a very painful season where my character was um, fiercely attacked. And it was, it, was, it was kind of external of me. It wasn't to my face. It wasn't even from really people that I know. There were people upset with me, upset with the ministry, upset with things that I was saying, things that I was doing. And it hurt. It hurt really deeply because I felt like my character was being assassinated and I didn't even know why. Um, I, I knew vaguely why, but it just, it, it, it stung. And I remember uh, after there was kind of like this big break and it kind of got exposed and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. And I probably didn't leave my house for like five days. I was so just hurt by it. And the Lord came to me and this is, this is what he said. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. He said, uh, he said, Jordan, they're, they're persecuting me, not you. And he said, and I'm fine. He said, <laughs> he said why, are, why are you so distraught? <laughs> I was like, oh, crap, you know? And uh, what that, was, that was the nice way of saying, you have ego in your spirituality, and let's look in. It could be really easy to blame it, because honestly, there was nothing constructive in what was being said. There was no kindness. There was no love. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, let's sit. And it was just, it sucked. But even still, God said, do not make the mistake of pointing your finger out. Let's look in and let me do my work, right? Because I learned, I've learned this, is that all emotional discord has a message. It has a message. And if we stop short of finding that message, we've done ourselves a huge disservice. We have to follow the discord down to the root and find out where is the place that God is wanting to bring his transforming, healing, sanctifying grace into my life. And we have to sit in the pain. We have to let it do its work. We have to sit and toil and say, why, why do I have ego right now? Why am I so offended? Why am I so hurt? Why, why do I have to make it? Why do I feel like I need to defend myself? Like, why? You have to ask the why questions, and those suck. It's much easier to say those people are jerks. Lord, rebuke them. <laughs> right? But it doesn't work like that. And I sat, I sat for nine months. I didn't do anything. I prayed, I fasted, I sought his face. I often use the pain, use the discomfort to seek him. It's there, it's energy. Use it to seek him. I used it to seek him. You have a zeal for the Lord in those times that you don't have on the mountaintop. Because there's different purposes to those seasons. Use it, use it to seek him. So I sat, I sat for nine months, I sought him. Um... And, and what happened out of that was a creative explosion of God, unlike I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I, uh, some of you know about India, but um, I mean, I've seen more power. Uh, this church got created out of that. Um, you know, there's other things that were birthing this for years, but uh, the actual word for the Lord to say, I want you to create this church, came in the season of processing my pain. Um, the first thing he told me in that pain is he said, I want you to go to India. I went to India thinking I was going to be with orphans. I got up out of the plane, um, and for 12 hours that day, we something like that, 10, 12 hours, we ended up in ministry. There was one day uh, or one point where 
so many people were getting healed. The first lady that I prayed for after getting off the plane, I was like, dude, I like this place. Because the first lady I prayed for, uh, me and John were praying for her, and she was a cripple that lived on the side of the street next to the church. We laid hands on her knee. Her knee popped. She got up and started walking, started walking up and down the street saying, the Lord healed me. People started flooding the church. That turned into 10 hours later at a little slum church with so many people pressing in for the healing power of God because they were being healed. Person after person after person, a dude came to me that had been demon-possessed for probably 20 years. Everyone in the church went silent and walked. I laid hands on him. The Spirit of God came over him. He was flat on his back. It was like a torrent of God. People were pressing in, crowds wanting healing, running, chasing us down the street, John's name and babies, all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Unlike anything I've seen. A few days later, I have a line of people for three straight hours. I saw healing after healing after healing. So an 80-year-old man, as I'm praying for him, he's blind. Jesus comes over me and says, you're seeing my face. And I say amen, and he starts weeping. He said, I can see, I can see, I can see. I'm so undone, I don't even know what to pray. They bring me an eight-year-old girl who's deaf. I say, Lord, open her ears. And her parents start exclaiming because her ears get open. And then I go, it's just, I was just like, what is happening? The Lord said, I used your pain to release and build my kingdom. I was at seminary last month. Seminary. I was like nervous to go. So it's academic, very intellectual. And I'm like, you know, do I, do I tell them that I think that I hear from God? Because some people scoff at that. Oh, you think you hear from like this? It's a very intimidating environment sometimes. I walk into it, don't know what to expect. I literally had a man, I, he wanted me to pray over him. He's probably 50. He's a lawyer, went to Brown University. I pray over him. As I'm praying for him, he goes, that was so amazing. I need to get other people. To, you need, and he goes, Hank, stay here. He goes to take a step. He gets so consumed by God. He falls flat on his face, and he starts hysterically laughing in the middle of the seminary building during our break for 20 minutes. I was like, dude, I was literally like, don't tell people that was me. Like, we got to go back to class. And people are like, all the, like literally, I, I, like, the guys were like hiding behind the wall like, what's happening? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Literally, though, I had, I had men, pastors, coming to me in tears, saying, will you pray for me? I've never experienced God like this. This is changing my life. And I'd drive home at night and say, what, what the heck is happening? I said, you used your pain. I created praise. And now I'm building my kingdom with a release. Why? Because when we do this, what he's doing is he's creating. He's, he's clearing space. He's scraping it away. He's pulling the weeds out because he doesn't want weeds. He wants seeds of the kingdom planted that are bearing fruit, that give space for the spirit of God to occupy us so that he can flow through us like a torrent of God. That's what he wants to do. He wants to use us to do the impossible. But the work, paying the price, it's sitting there and rowing all night until he comes and brings the shift that releases everything. And, and all of a sudden, God. Right? God. That's what we want. Amen. Paul in Philippians he says says something that's kind of kind of interesting, but he says, "Lord, I pray that by any means possible, I may know you and power of your resurrection, and may share your sufferings, becoming like you in your death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Trial, negativity—they're carrying your cross. And Paul's saying, "Lord, I actually ask for those opportunities. I want." to carry my cross. I want to die daily. Why? 
Because what happens at the cross? Well, well I mean, this, is the whole, this whole message is the cross. On the cross, the sum weight total of all the hatred and pain and agony and hurt and cursing and corrupt political systems and selfishness and religiosity and all the negativity of all mankind just got thrashed and whipped and beat into the body of Jesus. It broke his heart. You know, it just exploded on the cross. But what happened? A torrent of God got released that day. He yelled out, it's finished. The veil was torn. And the presence of God came like a rushing river. The Ezekiel 49 river got released that said it would flow into the Dead Sea. And the fish would start swarming. What was the Dead Sea? It was the nations of the earth. It was America. It was South America. It was Asia. It was all these places. And the river of God got released. And it started swarming with fish, with life, with people, with us. At the most intense point, crowning point of negativity, it was when we saw the greatest victory that we ever saw, the same victory that we're still living a part of. So that's why Paul's saying, hey, sign me up. I want to get in that river. Let me die because I know what happens when I get into the toil. It gets shifted and something dynamic happens. So I guess let's summarize. If we as a people will embrace the negativity of life as glorious opportunities to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, if we will start run, stop running from the difficulties and instead embrace them, let them point the place where the weeds are so that we can sow the right seed, if we do that, uh, by consequence, we will begin to walk in the Spirit. We're creating space for the Spirit of God to come, and we will begin to see the releases of His Spirit, like my mom shared, like I know many of you have, but we want to see more, right? I don't want to just get off planes in India and see eruptions of God. I want to be like at the 8th Street Market on a Saturday morning, and <laughs> we've got people running down the street because people are saying God's doing something through the street mender, right? I don't know what happened, right? Like, why not? Why not here? Why not now and why not you? But that's what happens by consequence. Uh, we will result, we will fulfill John 14, 12. Jesus says, if you think the miracles are cool, believe me, you're going to do greater ones than these. God desires, there's no limitation on what he desires to do. He, he desires the world to know him. There is so much need. There's so much. Sometimes we get into this thing like, I don't know if God wants to use me to heal. I don't know if God wants to use me in a powerful way. I don't know if God wants me to go to India and something like that happen. There are billions of people that he wants to know him. There's so much need. It's, it's insane. Of course he wants to use you. But we set the limit by, by where we're willing to go. We, we open up space. We create new threshold when we'll say, I'll do the work. I'll put in the toil and I'll, uh, I'll embrace my pain. When we do that, we will become living embodiments of John, John 14, 12, which is what we all want to see. That's our destiny. That's what we're called to do. So um, stand up. I'm going to bless you. And then we're, we're going to pray over a few people.
Lord, I thank you tonight that you're in the room. I thank you that you're transforming your people. I thank you that you're changing us, God. I thank you that you're changing the way that we view negativity. God, I pray tonight, I specifically, God, I take authority over the spirit of heaviness, God. And I, I say praise instead of heaviness. God, joy for mourning. Lord, I just take, I say no more to depression. God, depression does not have power over us, Lord. Lord, it is pain, it is discomfort, it is discord, but I just pray for a renewing of the mind on depression, God, and I just pray for a spirit of an overcoming bride to rise up, God. You are the conquering king. You say we're more than overcomers. So God, let that be true of us as a people. Lord, that we are not afraid of what the pains life can bring and the things that life can bring and all the different brokennesses of life, God, but we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, that we are overcomers because the spirit of the resurrected King Jesus lives inside of us. God, reorient our minds. I pray that you raise us up into, into, into new perspective, into new vision, and that you, you make us a people of persevering, just grit, God, that grapple, that grab hold of negativity and say, I'm not letting it go until this power and energy is at the wind at my sails, seeing the kingdom of God birthed in new ways. God, I pray for creative explosions of your spirit to be released through us as a people. God, I ask for, for this miraculous movement of the grace of God, unlike we've ever seen. God, I pray that it will be so natural that we will, it will be like we're spectating ourselves watching you use us, God, because it's the most natural thing we could ever be because you called us to be, uh, to be your people. So I thank you, God. Bless us. Be gracious to us. Cause your face to shine upon us, God, and use us so that Jesus may receive the reward of his suffering in this life. Amen.